Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. And if you don't know, this is a movie podcast. In the first segment, we're going to talk about other movies we watched this week. Segment two, we're going to talk about Laura Dern classic Smooth Talk, yeah. 1985. Um, but before we get there, I barely watched movies this week. I watched two movies. They were both for podcasts that you have to pay five... No. One of them you have to pay five dollars for. One of them... One dollar unless you want to wait a week and then it's free. Yeah. Um, We have this in the other order, but I, I'll just talk about RoboCop just to get it off the plate. I, I guess. Have no, I have nothing. Okay. Nora and I, for Pardon My Franchise, watched um, RoboCop 2014. You can go listen to that. Export odd.io slash franchise or on the Patreon. In that episode, you'll notice, wow, Nora and Autumn spent a lot of time talking about Anything on the planet except RoboCop 2014. And there's a reason for that. It's bad and boring. <laughs> and it gets an F for stairs. That's my that's my RoboCop minute. <laughs> it gets an F for Futura is not the Skyrim font. <sighs> it's the fucking Skyrim font! <laughs> it's it's white text. It doesn't have any sort of outline. It's Futura condensed. It's not Futura, it's Futura condensed. It is, like, in the lower right of the screen, the same place that Skyrim menus are. It's the fucking Skyrim font. I don't know what you want from me. It's not the Skyrim font. It's the fucking Skyrim font. It's fucking Futura. My brother in Christ, it's the (laughs) Skyrim font. (laughs) I'm not your brother. Go to hell. (laughs) Tell me about... Well, we both watched Titanic. Yeah, I was gonna say, tell me about the life aquatic, but we gotta talk about the death aquatic first. Yeah, um, I mean, people should go 
pay $5 and listen to that Blockbusters. Patreon.com slash Abnormal Mapping. It's already out. Yeah. While we were recording this, we recorded it earlier today and it's already out. So. Oh, really? I didn't know it was yeah. out. That's exciting. Um. So. I thought it was, it was going up tomorrow, so. I did too, but I think I'm just finished recording. It was like, well, fuck it. We had a we had a good time recording that. I don't have a ton to say that we didn't address on the podcast, except for stairs. I meant to ask everybody, like, what do we think of the stairs? Because I I thought it would be a, a home run, slam dunk, like touchdown. Like everybody could agree, stairs are great in Titanic. Yeah, I thought they're very important yes. throughout it. Like yes. where people are. Both like for the the earlier plot stuff, mm-hmm. um, the idea of like there's a certain like literal upstairs downstairs kind of thing happening of like the classes and they're on the different levels, and then those levels also become important during the action movie trying to escape from the sinking ship. But then there's also just the giant fuck off staircase with the clock at the top. I was thinking. There's a really good shot of um, the water filling up in in a stairwell, and I was thinking that if we um, if we were doing a Titanic stairwells, that would be the one I would want. Not for any, like the cover. Yeah, for the yeah. cover. I thought it would be fun to do a subversion because there's a really obvious staircase to use. I thought it would be cool to use a different staircase and just this random lower decks one. That's just filling up with water. The other thing too is sometimes there's like the obvious staircase to use in a movie, but for a cover, I have to make it square, yeah, and not wide. And so sometimes the the really like great stairwell scene <clears throat> will be taking up the like span of the the screen, uh huh, and we'll have like things at different points in a way that you can't when you're cropping it to square. cropping it and so sometimes our crops aren't even the stairwell scene that we're talking about as like the stairwell scene yeah <clears throat> um um but yeah as far as stairs go one of the best movies we've ever watched yeah genuinely like if you want stairs on a movie you cannot do better than titanic i think yeah uh, like it's this and pale flower like i don't fucking know dude i do think the 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 steady cam shot at the end is corny the steady cam first person Kate Winslet shot does not work for me. I feel like it is supposed to be corny though. Yeah, that doesn't excuse like, it. <laughs> like when you when you have like the going up the stairs and kissing him, that's like normal corny. And then when everybody is clapping, including like Billy Zane, mm-hmm. then I think the film just knows that it's a stupid corny shot. I it would have. It would have worked for me if the movie ended with her throwing the jewel into the ocean. And then I thought they were overdoing it by, like, cutting to her passing in her sleep. And then they really just, like, we're going to over-fucking-do it, you know? And I'm like, we didn't we didn't need this. And also, if it was just, if it was, like, a tripod shot over here of Kate Winslet walking up the stairs... Or, or like over the shoulder for like Leo DiCaprio, Leo like watching her walk up the stairs. Maybe that would have worked. It's the first person shot of her walking up the stairs that I was just like, no, I don't like this. I think the movie is, is just the kind of movie where this exists, though. There's so I, many fucking corny shots and stuff in this. It movie. doesn't help that the movie doesn't use Steadicam that much. 
Yeah. It's one of the very few steady cam shots in the whole thing. And having it be this first person shot just like did not function to me. It's not even the corniness. It's like the jarring. It, it is corny and that is part of it. But now the more I'm talking about it, it is the perspective thing. That's the, really. The, the whole reason though, why it is a steady cam shot. Uh-huh. Is that you get the shots from the like deep sea diver. Yeah. Going through the literal doors that she goes through to go to the steps in that. Yeah. So what it is like, the thing that she is seeing is what the, the like diver camera went through. I guess in the destroyed thing. And then she saw that footage, but now she's seeing it in the eyes of like what she remembered that place being and all the people that she remembered. That's fair. That's why it's still corny, but it works for me. <sighs> um, anyway, I was gonna look at network chat and blah, 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 network chat and see. Yeah, if but you're gonna have to like sort because also when uh, Blockbusters came out, the uh, Fate Moon Archive came out, so now it's all ah. jumbled. The talk, so don't even bother trying to do it on a podcast. Yeah, yeah I saw that there was more than like two posts of like yeah. Blockbusters exclamation mark, and I was like, I'm not reading this right now. <laughs> Um, anyway. You watched some Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. So I decided to watch, uh, The Life Aquatic. And I was thinking that I'd probably watch, like, Isle of Dogs next week. And then maybe the week after watch French Dispatch or something like that. Um, we'll talk about why I watched Isle of Dogs. Um, but I watched The Life Aquatic with Steve, uh, Steve Zizou. I still think it's my favorite Wes Anderson movie. It's not a five-star movie. It's just how I feel about Wes Anderson. Yeah. I like his stuff. But I don't think any of his stuff's five stars. For yeah, that's fair. Maybe French Dispatch will be. Who knows? I yeah. I think... Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I think French Dispatch is a five-star movie, but I don't think you're going to think it is. Um, in, in a way where Isle of Dogs is more, but also not surprising, there's some stuff in The Life Aquatic that is... Like... Do you, do you know much about the plot of it? It's Not kind a damn of a, thing. It's kind of a Moby Dick story. Okay, um, I didn't know that part. So, uh, I'm so bad with names right now. I'm I had a long day, so I'm just tired. Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Bill Murray plays Steve Zizou. I thought Willem Dafoe played Steve Zizou all these no. years. All these years, I thought that's who that character was. No. Um, and he's kind of a uh um. I'm terrible with names right now. Jacques. The deep, the like documentary ocean guy. Oh, um, um, James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just like pull up the life aquatic, uh, article to see if I can get, I know the, the, the name I'm trying to think of might not be here, but I assume it will be because he's kind of intentionally Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau. Um, so Yeah kind of referencing Jacques Cousteau stuff. Um, and so the, the movie starts with him releasing the like latest episode of his documentary series and it being screened on like a, uh, you know, um, like in a big theater with lots of people. Um, and it's about how his best friend, um, Esteban was, was eaten 
by this never before seen animal uh, that in the heat of the moment, uh, Zizu describes as a jaguar shark because it was like a shark, but it had like spots and the spots like glowed and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he decides that his next project is he's going to go hunt down the shark and kill it. And he's going to document that process. Okay. And people are like, if we've never seen this creature before, you can't kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's like a company stooge that goes on board to like try and prevent illegal stuff from happening and all this other stuff. Um, and part of it is playing. And this is the part where like uh, goes into racist territory is that it's also playing a lot in the um, these kinds of like pulpy stories about like sea adventurers and things mm-hmm. um, that are like that I really associate with like uh, th- this is doing it in like a little bit more of a modern context, but I also kind of associate it with like people who are really into steampunk, you know, and they love these like things about like dirigibles or whatever. Yeah. It's like kind of in that vibe, those like old pulpy novels Uh that are like Uh kind of sci-fi or like fantasy, but in like a weird space where that's not been established yet. I'm reading, Um, I'm reading things on this Wikipedia page and combining what you're telling me and and what I'm reading on this Wikipedia page about like Pele dos Santos, a safety expert and Brazilian guitarist who sings David Bowie songs in Portuguese. I'm like, hmm. I don't know. The thing is, Pele is played um, by uh, Sue Jorge. Mm -hmm. I think that's how you say it. It's uh, Saint Jorge. It's like okay. uh, Okay. Jorge is the actual. And so the parts where he is doing Brazilian covers of David Bowie songs is kind of charming. Okay. Um, he, he is not the character where this stuff is happening around. The big thing is there is a part where they are attacked by, uh, Filipino pirates and that's where it gets a little bit yikes. I genuinely assumed because of Wes Anderson and because of, um, how his movies are painfully white and, and the ways in which he loves like, uh, what's that fucking, what's that little French kid's name? Tintin. Yeah. Um, Lose a Tintin vibe. Yeah. I kind of just assumed they would have gotten a white actor to play a Brazilian, a like white American to do an accent and play this no. Brazilian person. Yeah. Um, not that there are not white Brazilian people. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Pele is great. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, Willem Dafoe plays the German first mate who's just doing a ridiculous German accent. <clears throat> but it's fine. You can be as racist Will- as you want to German people. <laughs> Willem Dafoe being racist to German people is actually a very charming combination. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's good, actually. That rocks. Um, but no, it's really the stuff around the pirates. It's like a little weirder. I want to. I also want to state, and also just how like incredibly white this movie is. I want to state for the record that I do know that uh, Tintin is a little Belgian kid. Don't don't at me about this. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Anyway, I don't want to, like, go into the full plot of what happens, um, but I guess, like, other key things. Um, so, at the screening, Steve Zizou uh, meets this guy who is probably his son, mm-hmm. although then there's other stuff later on that's going to call that stuff into question, um, who's played by uh, Owen Wilson, of course, who's... Wes Anderson fucking loves him. Yeah. Um, Which is hilarious because I I like Owen Wilson in Wes Anderson movies. I think he does good jobs in those. I've never enjoyed Owen Wilson in anything else 
ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are honestly a few people who Wes Anderson uses a lot who are like this. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> uh, Jeff Goldblum is like the rival uh, sea explorer who has like the really advanced technology stuff. Um, there's like a number of other, there's various subplots happening here. The reasons why, or the reason why I really like this movie is so every single animal in it, like every single sea animal is made up. That's fine. Um, it's made up and a large number of them are obviously like claymation animations. Um, there are some where it's like obviously props where like there's one where there's electric jellyfish that washed up on shore and they clearly just have blinking lights with like, uh, sort of like frosted domes over them. Oh, that's cute. Like it's so obviously fake, but so, and this is the thing that I, the reason why I like this for Wes Anderson movies, which is that I think all of his movies, Bottle Rocket is the one that does it the least and is kind of interesting for this, but he's already like moving towards the style. But Wes Anderson's movies uh, are extremely heavy on, like, the artificiality of mm-hmm. cinema. Like, everything is, like, so perfectly blocked against the the camera and stuff in ways that, like, emphasize, you know, everything is always in its, like, little tiny proper place and everything. Yeah. That's, like, always emphasizing, like, these sets and stuff. There's, yeah. there's this great part where they're showing you all the rooms of the ship and it's just, like, a... They, they built, like, a fairly complex, large set that's all the different rooms, and it's just the camera, like, moving as they're, like, walking through, like, a sawed-in-half version of the ship, basically. Uh-huh. Um, with, like, all the little different sets and stuff, and then just, like, explaining the different rooms. Um, and so they're, like... I think his movies uh, often emphasize this deep, like, artificial element in just, like, the style. But I often aren't, like, talking about that very directly. Sometimes it's just, like, part of the texture of his filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, even more so than some of his other films, I feel like people are being pushed to be stilted acting in the way that, like, we talk about with David Lynch also enjoying sometimes pushing for stilted acting. We're going to be talking about that later this episode. Yeah. Um, And so, with, with... But, like, all that is coming... In the context of that documentary that he airs about how Esteban was killed, his, you know, best friend and, like, uh, you know, co-creator or whatever, Esteban, was killed and eaten by this jaguar shark. Um, nobody believes it because the documentary looks so fake. Um, everything feels, like, weird and staged. Um, and so all these people are, like this is just some stunt or something that you're doing. Esteban's not dead. Mm-hmm. Whereas for him, this is like a real thing, but everything is also so like stilted and weird in the acting that like the movie is also constantly making a joke of what's happening. But also within the text of the movie, Steve Zizou is like, uh, you know, significantly impacted by and seeking revenge because of the death of his friend. And so it's, like, playing at, like, this idea of the truth and then how everything is, like, kind of fake on the surface. And I think some of it ties it into, like, him being a person who, like, puts on airs and everything. And some of the stuff at the end is he has to, like, 
break through a little bit. The stairwell, the big stairwell scene in this is there's one where they're they're trying to rescue the company stooge who stuck his neck out to help the ship, uh, but then got kidnapped by the the pirates and they're going to rescue them and they're like going through this big abandoned hotel trying to find like where are the pirates and where is he kept. Um, they think it's just empty and there's a part where he very fakely because it's a movie falls down the stairs in this like big hotel. And then it's like, make sure like, did you record that? Make sure that that gets it in. Like mm-hmm. we're going to show them the truth this time. A sad man, you know, you're um, going to like the French dispatch, I think. Yeah. And, but so I think it's just like deeply engaged with how weird and artificial both movies are in general, but also very specifically Wes Anderson movies are. Um, and then like, what is what does the truth mean in all of that? Where I guess I'll spoil. Do you mind if I spoil the ending? Okay, let me peer into my Wes Anderson crystal ball. I think the man who is bad is going to kind of realize that he's bad, but not do anything about it. Yeah. But what do you think happens with the jaguar shark? Uh, hmm. I think the I think he's gonna get eaten by the jaguar shark. No. Okay. Um, so at the very end, spoilers, just jump ahead a little bit if you don't want to know the end. To this 2004 movie. Yes. <laughs> um, they, they all end up in, the, like a bunch of them end up in the submarine. Like basically all the main characters in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, including like Jeff Goldblum, the rival and everything. They're all in the submarine. They see the jaguar shark and he doesn't kill it. But everybody's seen it now. And it's stop motion animated. It looks really fake. Okay. So so he, the 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 man is going to realize he's bad and actually do something and not kill the shark? Yeah, I, I mean he doesn't kill the shark. I Great. guess. Great. Good for him. Yeah. Um ends better than most Bill Murray characters in Wes Anderson movies. I I forget if they get it on film or not, but like in the moment it is I feel like it's less important that it's being documented and more important that the important people in his life uh-huh. are uh witness it and see the the truth that like despite all the artifice around it like there's still something true in him yeah um then he wasn't lying about all this and everything um but i was i was trying to remember who uh co-writer in this movie noah baumbach i was trying to remember why i knew that name francis haas the reason i know that name yeah um and I've seen some of this other stuff, but Francis Haas. What Apparently, I also uh, co-wrote the new Barbie movie. And, uh, that doesn't surprise me because it's a Greta Gerwig movie. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know he directed Marriage Story. Um, yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, anyway, again, it's not like one of my absolute favorite films, but it's probably my favorite Wes Anderson movie just for the like the amount that it's like emphasizing the artificiality and I think trying to say things about it is interesting to me. Well, and I, I, th- I think there will be stuff in the French Dispatch that you like. I think there is, it's an anthology movie and some of the segments are better than the others. I don't, I don't think you're going to give it five stars, but I think you'll be like, yeah, that's a strong four star movie. I think you'll, I think you'll have things to chew on with that one. Yeah. Tell me about Isle of Dogs. Um, so last night, uh, Emily and I were going to watch Fast Five. Um, 
there are a number of like action scenes at the beginning of that movie, but it takes a very long time before they get to, it's like, you're like a half hour in when they're just starting to get the idea that they're going to try and do a heist. Mm -hmm. And Emily wanted a heist and Emily was tired. Cause we've, we've both had a long weekend. Yes. Uh, with a long week before it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so she was just fading fast, could not stay awake, was finding the movie boring. Cause mostly it was car stunts and there's no like planning and executing a heist, which is what she's in it for. Yeah. Um, so she was like, I think I'm just going to go to bed. Um, and I had recently watched Fast Five, so I was building Gunpla. Um, and most of what I was doing was, like, not super complex parts. Um, I'm trying to, like, do the Otori, which is the the backpack that goes on the Strike Rouge. And it's like a plane that turns into a backpack. Uh, and it was just the wings, and it's just applying a ridiculous number of decals onto the fucking wings. Oh, I bet. Um, so anyway, uh, I was like, well, I want to watch something while I'm finishing this up. Um, I briefly thought about putting on, uh, like, Bulletproof Heart or one of the other, like, kind of Skinamaxi movies that I have on my Plex. Um, but I was like, eh, I, I don't really want to watch one of those right now. I'm trying putting on two movies on the Criterion channel, which I will probably watch this coming week. But both of them were like very low budget in a way that is fine, but that I don't want to. I wanted something that was just going to be more like things happening on screen while I was doing this stuff rather than like watching a, a slow, low budget indie film. Uh-huh. Um, where I want to like be able to pay attention to other things just to be able to give it more like, you know, more of a fair shot, I guess, than mm -hmm. some, me being really distracted. Um, and also just was not in the mood for like a, a low budget indie movie. Cause I went into that night wanting to watch fast five. So eventually I was just like, well, I'm like quickly running out of time to watch a movie before I have to go to bed. Um, and I don't want to just sit here and flip around. So I guess I'll just, I was going to watch Life Aquatic to remind myself why I like Wes Anderson. I was then going to get Isle of Dogs out of the way before I then went into French Dispatch. And then I will just have watched all of Wes Anderson so far. Yeah. So I put on Isle of Dogs. The movie's weird. Yeah. Um... I feel like the impression that I had from people talking about the movie was like the thing that was deeply racist about it or whatever is that they're like these Japanese dogs, but they have them speaking English. That part I didn't think was weird. Mm -hmm. Like very uh, notably for the text of the movie, the dogs don't understand most of what people are saying because they're dogs. They understand a few words. Right. And so having stop, sit, yeah, those are specific words that they do. Yeah. Um, and so having them textually within the movie speak a different language than all the human characters, um, with an exception that we'll get to, well, a few exceptions, <clears throat> speaking Japanese, being Japanese characters speaking Japanese. Um, there's a thing where this wants to be a movie for American audiences. And so instead there's some parts where they subtitle Japanese, but often they will have the, I, there's a few parts where they won't because it's not important to know what's being said. Mm. Cause it's just the dogs not understanding and they're trying to figure out what's going on. 
But there are many parts, because a lot of this involves like politicians and stuff, where it's English translators constantly on screen, also animated. And so the like politician will start speaking, and then louder in English, starting to speak over it, will be in English, uh, some sort of interpreter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a... That stuff's a little bit weird, but like, I I never felt like there's a part where it's just like, this is just completely off base for how they're handling this stuff. Uh huh. Other than just the extreme uh, primacy of having English all the time, mm-hmm. um, and Japanese often falling to the background. Uh huh. Um, the parts where it gets really weird, and to me bizarrely racist. One is that the the whole like basic premise of it is that there's this, uh royal like going way back uh japanese royal family that just hates dogs and loves cats and it's the kobayashi family and the current like prime minister or whatever i forget what title because it takes place in the future too so there's some oh okay weird stuff around that but uh it takes place in the future <clears throat> and the current like prime minister or whatever the his title is is a kobayashi hates dogs and is basically like uh actively manufacturing um a like health crisis within the dog population and then because of that and also then like spreading rumors that it could the like dog flu or whatever could transfer over to humans uses that an excuse to like exile all dogs to an island i'm making a frowny face right now yeah so all of this stuff is kind of weird this is weird uh especially because while there is definitely like a a fascist strain in japan it's not like actually engaging with any of how that works politically in japan and also how that is like deeply influenced by american occupation to this day yeah um like American occupation continues to inf- like the American occupation and there's still some amount of like American army presence, but yeah. Um, but also the like big period of like really heavy American occupation, all that stuff is influencing like what modern fascism in Japan looks like. Uh-huh. Uh, but this is not a movie that cares about any of that stuff. And so it kind of just is like, Oh, here's the politicians who are just like weird fascists who hate dogs and exile them to, you know, an island. Um, but the Kobayashi um, ha- is the uncle of this, like, distant uncle of this kid who becomes orphaned when his, like, parents crash or in a car crash or something. Um, and so um, the kid, the, like, boy goes over and at first is, like, given a guard dog, but it's, like, it's made very clear to him that, like, this is the, your guard dog is not a pet. Don't treat him as a pet. Uh, and then when there's the big exile, the guard dog, who he was treating as a pet, goes to the Isle of Dogs. So the ma- main bulk of the plot of the movie <clears throat> is that kid goes to the Isle of Dogs and is trying to find his pet and is being helped by a number of other dogs. The uh, most important of them being George Clooney's dog character. Um, who is a stray. I thought you just meant George Clooney's dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, George Clooney is a dog mm-hmm. uh, in this movie and is a stray who, you know, would never be a pet and everything. Uh, and then, of course, ends up being the pet to this This is kid. the George Clooney fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to have George Clooney be your pet. Well, him saying, I'll never be married, blah, 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 oh, blah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. 
the real life George Clooney just like refusing That's to That's definitely get what I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, you're valid. You're allowed. <laughs> so anyway, um I was going to say something I'm not going to. <laughs> um So anyway, he obviously ends up becoming the kid's pet dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the main stairwell scene on, in this is there's a part where he, he's like telling the kid that you can't go up the stairs to get on the slide and then the kid does it uh-huh. and that's I think the stairwell scene in this movie there might be other stairs but it's the main one I remember so I did like a C with a question mark Yeah. the other part where this movie gets weird and racist though is uh, all the stuff gets uncovered by an American exchange student Mm-hmm. Uh, to a high school who is bringing the free press to Japan by writing in the school newspaper. Oh, thank and, God. And uh, investigates the conspiracy theories and uh, spreads the truth. Well, thank about... God he does that. She does that. And okay. then she falls in yeah, love with she... the, the the boy. Because we, we got to get some compulsory heterosexuality in this movie. <sighs> I love when the heterosexual family is restored. Yeah. Good news about the life aquatic. <laughs> um... Um, but yeah, so like all the stuff going on with like the, the political family and then it being undone by an American coming in with the free press is just like, this is where the movie's like bizarre and racist. The, the dogs yeah, speaking English not, are fine. It's, uh, th- it's a, this is, yeah, this is taking a turn. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the animation stuff is still charming. Yeah. There's, there's some good animation in it. Um, I would prefer to look at George Clooney while listening to George Clooney, but I mean, he still has a nice voice. Yeah. Still not going to say that thing. <laughs> and we're done. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about Smooth Talk. <laughs> Definitely my least favorite Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, it doesn't sound that great. It kind of sounds like, even if I, even if I were like, even if I was not perceiving the racism, it just doesn't sound like that good of a movie, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's like some funny bits and stuff, but yeah, it's just. There's it, nothing you said that <clears throat> made me think, oh, that sounds pretty good. There are parts in Steve's Izu where it's doing the whole like uh, pulpy adventure novel thing. And they're my least favorite parts. And then I Love Dogs is like, no, that's the best part. Is when there's like weird pulpy adventure stuff. I, there's I, a part where they go to the part where there's the the savage cannibal dogs. Uh oh. Who are the indigenous dogs to the island? Uh oh. And then there's this whole thing about how they actually aren't cannibals, except for one time they ate a dog because they were starving, and then that just like spread into a big rumor. This feels yeah. This feels like I'm avoiding the racist trope by doing a different racism. <laughs> yeah. We're not really cannibals, except for that one time when we were. Yeah. This is weird. Don't recommend it. Anyway. <laughs> I watched it, so you don't have to. <laughs> Can't say that. But. Wait, why not? It's the fucking guy with the glasses thing. Who? Don't, don't. Is this like the you're, that that you're, one guy, the angry video game nerd yes, guy? It, not him, but the other guy. The other one, yeah. Yeah, it's but that who's guy. like somehow related to him, but not as good. Yeah. Okay. He's the AVGN for movie guy, 
And that's what he always says. I watched that shit so you don't have to or whatever. Yeah. Um, watch those shitty movies that suck ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's just He's the angriest gamer you ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, instead of watching this movie, just think about George Clooney as a pet. <laughs> no? Just think about George Clooney on a leash. I don't have a good way to transition into smooth talk from that. <laughs> so our main movie that we watched this week, um, we watched Smooth Talk, uh, directed by Joyce Chopra. Chopra? Chopra? I think it's Chopra. That sounds right. Released in 1985. Is this her debut feature? Um, Let me check. Uh... I know it was like really early, but I don't think. Um. Okay. So she. So she directed a number of um, documentaries, documentaries but this is her debut, like fiction film. Yeah. Fiction feature film, I should say. Um, I feel like I I mostly know her from documentary stuff. Yeah. Like um, uh, Joyce at thirty four, is one that I've seen before. Um. That's on Criterion in the same collection yeah. as this. I was kind of interested in watching that. Um, I was also interested in watching Murder in a Small Town. That sounded interesting. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, pretty easy to summarize. Laura Dern is Laura Dern is playing a character named Connie, whose best friend is Laura. So this is going. Names might be tough in this movie. I will do my best to refer to Laura Dern as Connie. Just to just to differentiate her from her her character's friend named Laura, I know that I often just refer to characters by their actor's name on this podcast, so apologize yeah. if this gets a little confusing. Connie is a 15-year-old girl. As a note, Laura Dern is 18. Playing the, this character. Yeah. Um, she is, um, just sort of coming into her sexuality. She is growing up in a small town in middle America somewhere. Like, yeah, kind of like the towns that you and I grew up in somewhat rural, somewhat big town. I think I lived in a bigger town than you. I think I lived yeah. in a place closer to what this is than you did. But also I grew up later than you did. The, so. the thing here, well, one, there's no beach where I grew up. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean there there was, but you had to go a ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like when they are at their house, that feels like where I grew up. Yeah, when they go to the mall, if going to the mall is you have to drive a half hour to an hour to like a place that has a mall, then that makes sense. I don't know how long that drive is. But... Yeah. <clears throat> um. So Connie, growing up in Middle America, um. Kind of small town, kind of big town, um, and sort of like getting interested in boys, basically. Yeah. Um, her and her friend, her friends Laura and Jill. Jill is kind of a little more reserved, a little more like, and also like notably seems not like younger necessarily in age, but like developmentally. Like she yeah. she is shorter. 
and things. She's like a little bit less interested in boys and things. Yeah, a little more and a little more um, on edge around boys. Um, and then Laura is like she's interested in boys, but she is not like attracting boys in the same way that Connie is, maybe necessarily. Yeah. So um, we see various scenes of them going to the mall, going to like this bar where like teenagers kind of aren't supposed to hang out, but also like no one's stopping them from hanging out there. Um, but like very clearly, like the place that people go to like hook up. Yes. Like you go there, you grab a soda and then some boy like walks up to you and is like, Hey, do you want to go to make out point? You know? Yeah. Um, and, um, Connie also, we see scenes of her home life. Her mother is, um, uh, is snippy with her a lot. Yeah. Her mother is also very put on, I think. Yeah. She's a stay at home mom and she obviously has to do like the cooking and cleaning. And then also it's like on her to do all of these repairs to the house. Cause, yes. um, this is all stuff that you kind of gather from like various lines people say, but it seems like they bought the house three years ago have been meaning to like paint the house and like do all these repairs. And the husband's just like fuck off wherever. Most of the time he's like at yeah. work and doing who knows what he's like, I work seven hours a day so that I don't have to do anything when I come home. Yeah. You know? But there's also the vibe of like, he works and then he probably goes to like the bar or something right. with his buddies for a right. while. Yeah. That's also the vibe. Yeah. Totally. He will sometimes roll in like much later than you would think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, her older sister, June, who is like maybe 19 ish, um, seems like home for the summer from college. Maybe, um, June, um, just a very different girl from Connie does not seem to be like, you know, not, does not seem boy crazy in the way that Connie is boy crazy, gets along with her mom a little better than Connie gets along with her mom. Um, uh, and it's like, alternately it can be like very mean to Connie and also the only one that understands Connie. Yeah. Or at least the only one that she's like willing to open up to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Connie and her mother have this very frictive relationship where a lot of the, it seems like maybe a lot of the frustration with the husband is getting taken out on Connie, you know? Um, this is all kind of, there's very little exposition in this movie. It's very much just, we are led into a week in Connie's life, maybe. Yeah. You know, two weeks, possibly. It's kind of a little vague how many nights she's yeah, going to these Yeah, it's just kind bars. of vaguely happening over summer break. Yeah. Uh, also thing that comes up between freshman and sophomore year of high school. Um. So we see various scenes of Connie goes to this like uh, bar once and meets with this guy and he takes her somewhere and they kiss and that's good for her. She likes that. Uh, and then like the next time we see her go off with a boy, he's like trying to take off her bra and she like gets uncomfortable and runs away. Yeah. In the background of this, we see a guy who we'll come to know as Arnold friend, a, a friend, friend. <laughs> um, who, we get like a shot of him watching Connie um, and it's the creepiest shit ever. 
And then like, yeah, he, there's like he a says, part where he's like, uh, you know, I'm watching you when she yeah. like walks by and stuff. And she thinks, oh, that's just a guy flirting with me. But we know from that perspective shot earlier. No, he's watching her. Yeah. No, he's watching her. Um, also, I kind of, I do think of this movie as a horror movie. I think it's like playing with horror movie tropes. I think so too. Um, and especially in these moments, like the, him looking through the windows, a lot of that stuff is shot like the, you know, serial killer looking into the dorm, the, you know, uh, sorority house or whatever Mm -hmm. in like a slasher movie. So one day, um... Um, Connie is out with this guy until late. This is the, the, she, he tries taking off her bra. She runs out. Uh, her parents sort of catch on that. She is like going around with guys and they're pissed or or her mom catches on. She's pissed. Her dad is either is the dumbest motherfucker in the world or is playing dumb about it. Um, but they have a, they have as good a conversation as these two characters could have about this. Um, but but Connie and her mom have a big fight, and they're supposed to go over to uh, their aunts for uh, a barbecue. And Connie's like, no, I'm going to stay home. Um, so they, the parents are gone for a few hours. June is gone for a few hours. Um, Connie is at home just trying to, like, you know, take care of herself a little bit, enjoy her day after this big fight. And Arnold... Um, and his friend Ellie, yeah, pull up um, in front of her house, and um, the real horror movie starts. Yes, Arnold is basically just like from this moment onward is like, "Hey, I've been watching you. Uh, I know that your parents are going to be gone at a barbecue with your aunt for a few hours. I know, you know, this, that, and the other, um, and." you're going to get in this car and you're going to come with me, you know? Um, and it, it's a, it's a prolonged, really drawn out, um, sequence of him pressuring her into having sex with him. Um, it is like the most manipulative, most like evil, most like, it's just disgusting. And the man looks to like, he's 37, you know, yeah. um, and he's like intimating that he'll burn down her house if she doesn't do this. Um, his friend Ellie is like, hey, do you want me to take out the phone so she can't call the police? Um, uh, and Arnold gets like sort of violent with him or or threatening to get violent with him. Um, and, and eventually, like Connie does go with Arnold. And we see the car parked in a field. We don't see, like, what happens there, but one can infer. Um, And he takes her home, and she says, I don't want you ever coming back. Um, And then the movie ends with Connie trying to tell her sister about it, not really being able to. uh, And that's it. And then putting on music for them to dance to, asking, do you still like this song? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the song I'm going to play at the beginning of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of that is, I mean, there's a few things in the lyrics that I think could be pointing to, like, she's not enjoying that song anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's also like, do you want to dance with me or would you feel like defiled if you touched me? Yeah. And then they dance. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. She like tries to tell June about it 
And she tells June about it, and then she says, I'm just kidding, that didn't happen. Because yeah. what she because she can see <clears throat> June is just like, oh, Connie, she's just a two-bit floozy. Like, she got in the car with that guy. Yeah. June is not there to see, yeah. like, the threats, the the violence, the... You know, yeah. even if he's even if he's not violent, like he does not hit her. This is violence, you know. Yeah. Um, and it sucks, and it's horrifying. Yeah. And then the movie ends. Yeah. Um, the whole sequence of him trying to talk her out of the house, or it's starting on the lawn and her going back, and then him talking her back out, is like the most like, uh, just makes my skin crawl. Just like horrifying. Uh, scarier than like any horror movie I've seen. So this movie is a masterpiece. Yeah. Like, let's just start there. Like, this is one of the best movies we've ever talked about for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No. What, like when I watched it, I was just like, I was struck and I was struck by like how incredible this movie was, and I've Dude, just been thinking about it ever since. And be like, you should watch that. We should watch that. So yeah, for, for people who maybe don't remember, you watched this on your own last year. You told me the whole plot, but I kind of didn't really internalize it also like knowing the plot of it is so much different than like watching how it unfolds it's yeah. a, it's not just that it's a great story it's a great story well told yeah you know and just like the the execution of it the yeah. the amount to which they let you in on what's happening here but they never fully exposit anything and so much about the relationship stuff is inferred mm-hmm. um it's to me, it's like always constantly writing this weird line between like, oh, this is just uh, like this just feels like these are people. This is like we're looking at just like actual people who you might know. And then also like this is all like myth or allegory or something. And it's like constantly writing that line. And the, the one place where it feels like maybe this is tipping over into just like pure mythic space is when uh, a friend comes and he has all mm. the stuff. But then if you know the history of this, it's based on a short story and the short story is based on an actual serial killer who behaved like this. Like yeah. Arnold friend is based off of a real human being who lured young women and killed them. And it's, it, it's, I think the movie is scarier because it crossed my mind even without remembering you had told me the part mm. about this is based on a serial killer. I did not remember it. But in my mind, it's like, if you get in that car with him, he's going to kill you. Yeah. You know? And I think it's equally horrifying when he doesn't do it. Yeah. Because, like, whether he does it or not, he is still, like, hurt her in a way that cannot yeah. be repaired. Um, And the... I didn't read the short story, but I've like read like a synopsis of it in summary and stuff when I first watched this. Cause, and I, I read some like academic paper that was talking about the two as well, mm. but the, the short story ends with her leaving in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also sounds like the short story, um, which I think is just like a Joyce Carol Oates yes. short story. Yes. Um, Joyce Carol Oates now known for being cringe on Twitter most days, but that's yeah. fine. Um, did she, did she end up turfy at any point? I feel like she could have. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put the likelihood at like an eighty <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it sounds like the the story ends with um the car going off, and also which there's a little bit of here that like there's a certain amount to which like she is obviously being co- coerced into the situation, but also, and this happens in the movie too. Part of like the choice that she's making is like. I don't want my family to get involved. Like, I don't want you to burn down the house. This is like my family's yeah. house. 
Yeah. Like there is a certain amount of self-sacrifice that is going into why she is making the choice that she is making the highly limited choice that she has in this scenario as she's being coerced and, and like Lord and everything. Joyce Carol Oates is a turf, just in case you were wondering. Okay. Or, or at the very least spend a day on Twitter, really digging in about how they, them pronouns is grammatically incorrect or whatever. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, from what I've heard, the short story sounds like it's not nearly as good as the movie. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff that, was added for the movie that I think make this so much stronger. Like the, her sister, mm-hmm. uh, Connie's sister is, is added as part of the movie. Do, the, the how do ending, you tell the story without the sister? Well, because it doesn't end with anything where she comes back and has to like, you, well, I guess so. try to open up and somewhat do and somewhat can't. Yeah. It ends with her just going off and it's sort of this ambiguous, like sacrificing herself for the I... family, but also being coerced into that position. But I think this is so much stronger by having all, I, it feels like this movie compared to the, again, I haven't read the short story, but I've read synopses and stuff. It feels like the movie is so much more, uh, interested in the way that everyone in this family is failing this girl. So mm-hmm. that she ends up in this situation where, one, she she ends up in this situation where she, like, doesn't have any sort of grounding to, like, deal with her budding sexuality in a healthy way. Yeah. With the people around her where uh-huh. she's not putting herself into more dangerous situations because she's not getting any sort of familial support yeah. to, like, um, you know, approach that in any sort of healthier way. Uh-huh. Uh, and then also is specifically... When all this stuff happens, also failed by this family, where the family is so set up that, like, it is, it is bad if you were having sex, that now her, she can't talk to anybody in her family about what happened because they are not going to approach it as, oh, what happened to you was a terrible thing that happened to you. Yes. But rather, oh, this is what you get. Yeah. Or, oh, this is your I can't believe that. Because you, you went this. to those bars, you yeah. attracted a man like that, you dressed this way, you. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Or, or even beyond that, the, like, um, you know, oh, like, not even understanding that this was, like, an a, a assault that happened to her, or a rape, or probably yeah. whatever. Yeah. That, like... You wanted to get in that car with him. Yeah. Like, that this... The mom might just purely see what happened as, oh, she had sex with a guy. Mm-hmm. And that is, like, the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, and also just like the family has this like stand in for the ways that the broader society around her is failing her. So I have two thoughts spinning out of those, out of that. And one of them is like way more uncomfortable to talk about than the other. So like, let's talk, let's talk about David Lynch for a minute. Okay. Let's, let's pull this back out to like, you've, you've wanted to do this for a while on the podcast. Um, we kind of finally got around to it because wild at heart, basically. Uh, yeah. and taking, taking like a minor break from Lynch, but like, we just watched Wild at Heart. We wanted to do this. Um, it, there's a lot in common between these two movies, I think. Yeah. I mean, also Blue Velvet is also. Oh, absolutely. I was thinking about Blue Velvet a lot. Yeah. Um, there's a way in which Laura Dern cries in this movie that I knew that she cried in the same way in Blue Velvet. Yeah. Um, in, in both movies... But more so in Blue Velvet, I would say. Which is a year after this? Two years after this? Yeah, maybe. She's she's young in Blue Velvet. Um, uh, 
So there's a way in which David Lynch characters are ideas. They are representations of an idea he had in his head about like, you know, you know, um, uh, Laura Dern's character in Blue Velvet is like this representation of like purity, of innocence, of of um, blooming womanhood, um, a, a bunch of different things. But she's so she's so much like she's an incredible performer in that movie. But the character is so much an expression of something David Lynch is trying to get across. This movie, like. She's not she like she is just a person like yeah. like I say in the early we are being let into like a week two weeks of her life in summer, uh her life had history before this her life will have history after this obviously like that's not like in David Lynch movies that's not true because in David Lynch movies he's aware of the artifice of the movie um the artifice is always on display and that's why the performance can sometimes come off artificial yeah um in this it is trying so much to strip that artifice away to tell you you are seeing a real young woman yeah um and it's i i think that laura dern is one of the greatest actresses of all time i think that her performance in wild heart is one of the greatest like screen performances ever and i think this like goes pound for pound for it and like just such a different just such a profoundly different and moving way yeah. that I it, it's just incredible all the things that she's able to do in this movie yeah that just like David Lynch movies don't ask her to do you know yeah. um but also like I'm, I know I mentioned this earlier but to like further emphasize to you because I do think that like she's just like a real person in this movie like, yeah everybody feels like real actual people who whose lives extend uh far beyond the edges of the film yes um you can you can see so many glimpses of the past you can see how like things go in the future to some extent you yeah. know you can like envision stuff around that. yeah um and yet all of it feels like this thing that is like uh, acting as the stand-in for like broader things that are happening around sexuality and like you know feminine sexuality in particular, mm-hmm. um, you know the ways that like men and women are expected to behave within relationships. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is like it's being uh it it's able to function in that like mythic or like symbolic yeah. space that I think you could so easily tip this movie over into the David Lynch. This is all about uh, figures representing things. Uh-huh. Like everybody is already perfectly lined up. Uh-huh. You could also so easily tip it over into, this is just the story of one girl. Uh-huh. And there's no sort of broader connecting this beyond just the way that you do in movies generally. Yeah. And the way that it like so perfectly situates it, where it's like so easy to imagine how this could tip into like pure symbol, people are acting as figures who are like representing things about society or uh-huh. you know, uh you know, tropic relationships or whatever. Yeah. Or you could tip it over into this is this is purely just a story of like one girl. Yeah. Uh, and it's like constantly writing that line, which the, is the, part of what makes it so exceptional. To the me. ways in which it gets more universal by getting more specific is just yeah. like, I, I, I'm stealing that. I, someone, 
I, I heard that someone say that about do the right thing one time. And I have no idea where I heard that, but it's, it's the same move as do the right thing. Do the right thing is about this one neighborhood, this one street, this one block, you know, yeah. and by do, by getting that specific about this area gives you this universal thing. And, and, and smooth talk like does the same thing. And I don't, I don't, fucking know how you pull that off i have yeah. no idea how you managed to do this but it's incredible to watch it happen. yeah it's just it's magic when it happens on the screen um, um yeah <laughs> but and the thing the the word that i've been returning to but i think it's like the the closest like um thing that i can point to is this idea of myth because myths are so full of like weird specificities Mm -hmm. about like this specific deity and all the weird things about that deity or whatever, or like this, like, uh, quasi like it's, it's the, it's the, the lineages and the sagas. Yeah. You gotta know, you can't just know about, uh, this guy. You gotta know his father and his father's father and his father's father's father. Yeah. You know. And it's such like a weird specific like uh feud that's happening between these two families and but then you read it and you're like, Oh, well this is the failure of the legal state in Iceland at the time. Right. Like, yeah. 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 It just like hits that weird line that's just uh again, I don't know how you do it, especially in movies. Yeah. Like I I can in a weird way I can understand the distance of like most like actual myths yeah makes that so much easier for it to like fall into that weird space because you're getting all these weird specificities about another time in another place mm-hmm. when it was like the myth was conceived and stuff but then this is just like no like i lived in a house like that yeah. it was a little bit more f- uh finished but it was also owned by a church which meant that when i wanted to paint a room i had to go in front of a like board full of old guys and say I want to paint my room and they said no. Yeah. <laughs> um there's there's um uh also he didn't have to huh? no. Hmm? I'm trying to remember my childhood home, which famously the only thing that I can very clearly <laughs> picture is the footprints on the ceiling. Um I don't think there was a second floor. I'm trying to think about the second home that we moved to did. Are you talking about sagas? Are you talking about lineages? Um, I lived in that house. There was there was something right between those that I was like I I wanted to spin out of, and I I can't quite place it right now. It'll come back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but but like, yeah, the kind of going out of what you're saying now, like the 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 uncomfortable thing to talk about is that like like I had like okay, I grew up as a guy, you know, like people can feel however they want to feel about like, you know, whether or not they have always been trans. My feeling about it is that like for many years, I was told I was a man. I believed I was a man. I lived my life in that way. Um, and I am shaped by that. I had these conversations with my dad though. Like my, my father and I had the same conversations that Connie and I, Connie and her mother are having about like, you know, um, just like you need to be working more around the house. You need to be working harder in school. You need to blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and this way in which like, even, uh, uh, there's a great, great moment, um, where 
Connie and her mom are painting the house, which is something that like I I did a lot. My dad owned other um my dad owned various houses and would rent those out to people and since I was about 10 years old, my dad would have me painting the houses, um um cleaning and doing everything like um which I realize in hindsight was just my dad using child labor <laughs> yeah. um, and, and not paying me. <laughs> um, so, so I have lots of memories of my dad and I painting or, or me painting and my dad cracking open a beer and telling me you missed a spot. Um, and, and while they're painting, they have this moment uh, or, or her mom tries at a moment of vulnerability. Her mom tries at like reaching out across like, Hey, I know like things have been rough between us, but like, I want to connect with you in this moment. Connie is not immediately able to meet her mom there. And her mom gets kind of pissed off and like walks away basically. Yeah. And this is like a thing that I remember happening with my dad often is like, we're going to try to connect it's not going to instantly work, so you're just going to get upset and, like, storm off. Um, and the ways in which then thinking about um, similar stuff in my life where I'm not, you know, I'm not having the same struggles with, like, you know, I, I'm interested in boys and I don't know how to express that, that Connie is, but, like, I am, I am having in my... I'm I'm not able to fit into like a cishet thing, and, and and I don't even have the support structure to where I could even attempt to talk to somebody about this. This is why this is a big part of this for me is like it did not enter my mind until I was like twenty or twenty one years old that I could be like transgender, that I could be you know queer in any way, because there was just no. Nowhere in my life that I could even voice that thought. And it feels like Connie is going through so much of the same thing of like, hey, I'm interested in this and there's nowhere I can talk about it. So I guess I'm going to keep it a secret and it's just going to like cause me a great deal of pain that will only alienate me further from the people who are supposed to be supporting me, which will only cause me more pain, which will cause more alienation, which will cause more secrets, which will, you know, the, the cycle, um, to where it gets to this point where she can't tell, um, about the way of the assault that happens. I, um, and yeah, that just felt like (laughs) she just like me for real. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the, the one like glimmer of hope in the end of this movie being the, like, would you feel defiled if you touched me? And then her sister still does come over and dance with her and mm-hmm. touch her. Mm-hmm. Is, like, this one thing that's, like, breaking through a little bit. Yeah. Uh, is, like, her in a way saying it and her sister saying, like, no, I'll still yeah. be here. Yeah. Um, But it, it has to be through, like, so many weird layers. Yeah. For, for them to have, like, that moment. Which is also just, like, you know... When I was young, um, there were lots of conversations that my dad and I couldn't have. But then I would talk to my stepmom about blah, 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 blah. And only as an adult am I aware. Well, when I was telling my stepmom about that, that was not being kept between us. That was making its way to my dad. 
you know, and then maybe obliquely six months later, my dad and I could have a conversation about that. And it feels like maybe the same thing might happen with um, Connie and June and her mother, where I can't tell mom about this. I can tell June and maybe June can like talk about this with mom. And maybe after that other layer, mom and I can talk about this. But right now we, that, that connection cannot happen. You yeah. Know? Well, and it being the same song that earlier in the movie, um, they're like the, this Connie and her sister are listening to it. And I, I don't think like dance together in the same way that they do at the it, end. It's where Connie not... and Jill. Oh yeah. Connie and Jill. Yeah. yeah. And Jill doesn't want to sing along. Con- yeah. Jill leaves. Yeah. Um, but then Connie's kind of dancing to it. And then it cuts to the mother in the other room just hearing the music and dancing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's like still something there, but there's like a very, there's a much clearer divide there mm-hmm. than some of the other people. Yeah. So. Um, fantastic movie. It's so good, dude. Um, I mean, I could talk about uncomfortable stuff, but I don't know if I need to. It's a better representation of mall culture <clears throat> than Dawn of the Dead is. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I got to, to talk briefly about mall stuff, talk briefly about like the uncomfortable stuff, you know, everything. Um, I felt such intense anxiety of, please, Connie, remember to buy your mom the goddamn paint roller. Because I, I did that too. I where like, my dad asked me to go to the grocery store, get him this. I went to the grocery store, got some other shit, fucked around with my friends, you know, I uh, came home and did not get the thing that my dad asked for it. It was like a fucking problem, you know? Um, yeah. And I was just so anxious, like, please, Connie, buy your mom the paint roller. I'm begging you. <laughs> she comes home and, and she does buy it, but we don't see her buy it. I was like, oh God, she forgot the fucking paint roller again. No. <laughs> There's a part in the car where you can kind of see that she's got that paper bag. Yeah. But also, like, the the paper bag keeps being there, and you're like, is the paint roller in there? Yeah. Is that the paint roller? I need... I need... Did you buy some other shit? <laughs> um. <clears throat> oh, the mom being like, uh, I'm giving you these $5 in view of all of these witnesses. <sighs> That's such a thing my dad would do. That's the thing my dad did, too. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, should I go into my uncomfortable stuff? or If you want to, otherwise, I don't know. Like, I don't... The the stuff with... I feel like we, we did not talk much about the stuff with Arnold. Um, but it's also just like... I don't know. You just gotta, like, watch it and see it unfold. And if you've, if you've seen it, like, it's just... It's the most rancid shit in the world, dude. Yeah. It, it's it, it it was kind of funny because <clears throat> um early on when he's like I'm watching you and you see him watching through the um the window, Emily and I both are like sitting there like, "Oh, I hate this guy. He sucks or whatever." Um and it's kind of like it's scary, it's weird, it's being played as creepy. But it's it's at just enough of a remove that you can sort of like make a joke about it. Like, ah, she just needs to like go into the kitchen and like 
get a knife and stab this guy. And then it's like, once he rolls up at the house, like it just takes on such a different tone of just like, oh, this is like a dangerous situation. And I am like in fear for this young woman's life. Yeah. You know? And the ways that like, if she calls the police, is she just making things worse for herself? Mm-hmm. If she goes to the kitchen to try and get a knife, is she making is she worse? making things worse for herself? There's like two men who are stronger than her right there. Yeah, you know, um, um, that just... whole you. The thing is, too, you're like <clears throat> watching the movie, and it's touching on stuff around sexuality where sometimes it's getting a little bit creepy and uncomfortable. And you're an hour in, and then you just hit that like last half hour Mm -hmm. and so much of it is a friend rolling up yeah and the whole conversation around it and it's just like uh it's incredible how much the movie one is like still fully operating in everything it's been doing but also there's like this this sudden turn Mm -hmm. um that stuff is like so drawn out in a way that nothing else has yeah um well and it's like um There's a, like, you watch most movies, and there's, like, guardrails on it a little bit. Like, like just, this is just a thing I watched the other day, Titanic. I know the stakes of Titanic before I watch Titanic. I know that Rose and Jack aren't going to get caught by Billy or whatever, Billy Zane or whatever, because, like, she's got to be on that door at the end to sink. Or even things that I don't like, you know, I go into a Star Wars movie, like, you know, Luke Skywalker isn't going to die. He's Luke Skywalker. Yeah. There's a, mo- the, 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 the thing that is, I, 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 one, one more example. I go into a horror movie and I have certain expectations of characters are going to die, but m- most likely like. The, the the woman I'm introduced to at the very start uh, is going to be, like, a virgin and not die, right? Or something yeah. like that. Like there, there are going to be, like, various things that have developed up that are going to be signals that will clue me in. And maybe I'll get to the end, and then there'll be the, oh, she also gets killed, or they're going to insinuate that she's going to or something uh-huh. to, like, flip it. But all of it is still operating in this space where you, like, you kind of know where the pieces land, and... When the the final girl gets killed in the end because they're trying to subvert it, uh-huh. that also feels expected in its own way. Yeah. You might be slightly surprised and then you'll be like, oh, yeah, this movie was made in like whatever, you know, uh-huh. this was a 2000 slasher movie. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is like what makes the Texas Chainsaw Massacre so good is that it plays into those expectations and then ends in a way where no matter what you expected, you didn't get what you expected. If you expected her to die, you didn't get that. If you expected her to live, you didn't get that. I, it's hard to explain unless you've seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then you you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. So all all that to say that in Smooth Talk, once it becomes clear how much danger she is in with with Arnold. There's no, like, in my mind, anything could happen to end this movie. Yeah. But, like, truly, like, at any moment that could have, like, broken out into, like, intense violence, that could have broken out into her house burning down, that could have broken out into a, like, graphic rape scene. Like, 
anything could have was on the table in that moment in a way that is just like horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, truly, he could have said, okay, and driven home. Like, I had no idea. Like, and, yeah. and, and in some ways, like, if he says, okay, and drives home, like, still, like, the, the, the pressuring, the, 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 the harassment, the assault that happens just in the, like, trying to get her to get into the car is, like, enough that you're just, like, Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. The, the the dad could come back. Yeah. You know, or something. Yeah, the dad could she just She does the thing of like, oh, he's coming back to pick me up or whatever. Yeah. There's there's just a way in which like the movie has not set you up to expect any one particular thing to come out of that. Yeah. It is just like Oh, it's it, I have goosebumps talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's also exceptional because I do still feel like it's playing in certain slasher tropes of like the the killer trying to invade the home, but it's so smart about having him. I mean, the name, name of the movie is Smooth Talk, but the, all he does is talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much of the talk where, like, I think the biggest moment where there's a certain part where I'm like, I still would have just hit the. I just still would have just put the lock on the screen door Mm -hmm. and tried to slam the door or something. Yeah. But at that point, he's already insinuating that he could burn the house down. He's saying the scenario of the house is on fire and you just need to run out to my safe arms. Yeah. You know, Um, all of it too, in a way where he's never saying, if you don't come out, I'll burn the house down. Mm -hmm. He's saying, you need to imagine the house is on fire Mm -hmm. and you're going to run out to me to safety. That's what's happening right now. There was, a, there was a thing... Um, Which is not tying into all the stuff that's been going around about the house literally in this, like... Or figuratively in the state of on fire and literally in the state of, like, unfinished. Yeah. There there was some conversation this week about, um, you know, Louis C.K. played a sold-out show in Madison Square Garden. Like, yeah. for all the talk of cancel culture, like, Louis C.K. is still selling out shows to Madison Square Garden. Um... And I, I read something that was like, um, that, that maybe I quibble with, um, but I read something that I thought was clever at the very least and insightful in some ways about the ways in which like, um, um, how was it phrased here? Like the, so many of the rules around like sexual harassment and sexual assault, um, exist in some ways to give men like as long as I don't step over this line I'm good you know people talking about like well Louis CK was never convicted of a crime so you know blah 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 and it's like okay well there's a like if he's aware this right here is criminal then I'm gonna stand on this side of the criminal line and get as close to it as I can and it feels like you know and and you know, um, it's very important to a friend that she comes out. Yeah, that he doesn't have to drag her out or do anything that would leave yes. bruises or anything. Is right. part of what's happening. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that like, yeah, like if she says yes, if she you know does it this way, and I don't do if I, I don't do this, it's not criminal. You know, um, yeah. and I can do all of these things that are not criminal i'm still like within the lines basically Um, i think it's like when he brings her back to that he's like you know what happened is i came i asked you to get in the car you got in the car and we 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, I asked you to go on a, a Sunday drive. Yeah. 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 And you went with me. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, and some of it is like from a legal standpoint. This is yeah. what happened. Yeah. But also there, I think there's also a certain amount of like him saying to her, like almost the, the thing in her mind of like, this is your fault. Mm-hmm. What happened is your fault. Yeah. I asked you to go for a ride and you went with me. So like right. any other feelings that you're having, even beyond the legal right. framework yeah, for this, absolutely. is also like after the fact is not what yeah. really happened. Yeah. I'm telling you how to think about this. Yeah. You know. Um. Yeah. And again, there's just parts where, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, um, like, he just seems like the most weird caricature of a person. Mm-hmm. Where everybody else feels really weird and grounded, he feels bizarre Yeah, in this way. Uh, and so for me, then, finding out that he was based on an actual serial killer who behaved like this. Right. Was just... Well, there's a, there's a, there's a strong sense that He's done this before. He's rehearsed this. Like, every step in the process, he has a plan. Like, he's gonna he's gonna come out and, like, try to smooth talk her. Oh, that doesn't work. Well, then I'm going to escalate it in this way. Or then I'm going to imply this. Then I'm going to, like, like, there is a, there is a, there is a rehearsedness. There's a everything planned out um, that, like, just makes him not fit in with the rest of the movie in a huge way, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Um, this, this is the most that we've been talking about a movie and it's just like skewed me out. Like yeah. I've just gotten like shivers thinking about stuff. Yeah. Um, in, in like a compliment to the movie. I think the movie is exceptional at this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also exceptional, like giving you the feelings without ever like the whole um, a friend scene is, the, is the, like most showing the assault, but then it's also smart and not going beyond that. I just want to well. say you opened up the uh, Wikipedia page for um, uh, the killer that this is based on. On March 10th, 1975, Schmidt was uh, stabbed 47 times by two fellow prisoners. Shout out to those two fellow prisoners. Yeah. (laughs) Give those guys a medal. Um, You lost an eye and a kidney? And died after 20 days. Shout out to those guys. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out. Um. (laughs) God, the, the photo of the actual man is so... Ugh. The other thing that's uh, exceptional about this movie to me, because I went into it knowing a little bit about what it was about, mm-hmm. but you look at the poster for it, and I think this is also like a, a smart thing that it's doing here, uh-huh. is this poster looks like it's a romance movie between those two characters. Right, yeah. And Hollywood, especially at this time, is such that uh, 18-year-old actress and however the fuck old Treat Williams was when this movie was yeah. shot. That would just happen in a movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We, as charitable as we are to um, Han and Leia, it's Han and Leia. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, that's textually, literally, like, Han and Leia. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you and I are sort of, like, 
charitable to that relationship. Um, but you know, yeah. Um. Also, subtle note. Um, that 34. I didn't. It's thirty-four. I think when this movie was shot. From doing the math correct, I did not connect this in my head until um just now. Uh but but the Wikipedia makes it glaringly obvious in a way that I'm like, oh, I wish I'd seen that earlier. Um, like. Connie has posters of James Dean all over her room and and this guy is doing a James Dean act, you know. Yeah. Um so um I mean, he is a a guy who play those sorts of characters. Yeah. It's also part of what they're like banking on here. Yeah, totally. Like using here. Um Should I mean, we I've said everything I gotta say. Yeah. So next time. Oh, stairs. Stairs? Stairs. Oh yeah. Um, I guess I can do the the little bit of the So the other reason why this movie hits really hard for me um is probably around the same age. Uh I I was raped. And it was not until like literally like a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. That I fully understood that that's what what happened. That's what happened. Yeah, uh, and this was influenced by other stuff. In part, when I talk about my childhood, I usually think of like th- that person is agender, mm-hmm. uh, which is different than how I identify currently. Mm-hmm. Um, my I will often say like when I was an awkward creature pretending to be a boy mm-hmm. and stuff like, cause whenever I think about my childhood, I see a certain amount of, there's a period before like puberty and stuff where, um, in, in childhood you are allowed to be agendered in a way. Um, there are ways in which you are not, uh, like gendered by the things around you in quite the same way. You are still being like, Gender is still being given to you, uh-huh. but it's so much different than like when your body begins to be like through the proper uh, process of puberty, like gender becomes so much more of like an unavoidable facet of your life. Mm-hmm. Whereas like childhood, you can kind of be more ambiguous in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once that happened, I just felt like I was pretending, but not in a way where talking about that as being, I was a little girl. It's just like, no, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Like it feels disingenuous. It feels like covering up something that was actually deli- uh, denied yeah. to me. And um, not to say if you felt that way about your childhood, like yeah, yeah, we just have different feelings about our childhoods. Um. Anyway, uh, I don't know what's going on with the power cord. I'm not touching it's, that. It's I thought like maybe I was like tugging at it, but I'm not. um. Maybe try moving it into a different one and making sure the thingy's plugged in properly on it. I don't know. Um, Anyway, but so some of it was, this was happening at a time when I was like, oh, I guess I'm a boy. Uh And that means that there there are these ways that you are supposed to behave within relationships and around sex and things. Uh Where it didn't even enter into my mind that like, uh, I am just now remembering Charlotte, when I was in middle school, so this was before mm. it happened, um, in a sex ed class, the teacher said that if the boy has an erection, it's not rape. <laughs> like, the, the boy's not being raped. 
that they like guys can't be raped if they have an erection. Oh my god! <laughs> it was actually told to me. So anyway, I just did not process anything of what happened to me mm-hmm. as anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact that there's like impacts that it's had that have been lasting into my adult life. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of what just like really hits with hits me in this movie is all the ways that like stuff is being set up for her to like question what even happened to her. Yeah. Um, with, from a different angle, but yeah. Yeah. So next time stairs, stairs, there's the stairs in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the only stairs we get. Yeah. How are you feeling about those stairs? I have a feeling, but I don't know that we're aligned that I kind of want to know where you're at. on I don't think it's an S, but this, yeah, it's so, it's like maybe an A+. plus. The best thing with the stairs is when she's sitting under them, yeah. you know? The one that's going to be the cover is her sitting at the top shortly before a friend comes. When she's just hanging out in the empty house and you can see the like partially unpainted stairs uh-huh. going down to the door where then all of this is going to happen. No, my gut was also at an A plus, but if you said that you were at an S, I was just gonna roll with it. Yeah. So my, I think I think it's an A plus. I think so too. Um, perfect film. Yeah. But you probably could have gotten the stairs up to an S. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we've picked our next two movies, but we didn't pick an order for them yet. Do you have a strong feeling about it? Um. We're going to do um, Soleil O, um, and we're going to do Devil in a Blue Dress. Yeah. Um, you, because you've been wanting to talk about Soleil O for a while. Me, because um, Devil in a Blue Dress has been sitting on my plex for a long time, and I've had a hankering this week for a Denzel movie. So um, I I might introduce a little mini theme into the next few months of Stairwells, which is, I've had a Bismos de Passion on my Plex server for over a year now. Let's get that shit off of there. <laughs> yeah. There's a few movies that I have on my Plex that... Uh, there's also a few, like, uh, other, like, Blu-ray DVD stuff. Blu-ray stuff that I've gotten that are sitting on my shelf that I want to watch, but it's just foreign language stuff is harder for me to just, like, put yeah. on while I'm doing other things. So. Yeah. Um, some of that might work its way in. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, part of it is I have just been wanting to wa- rewatch Soleo, but I've also been like, that was on the like very first spreadsheet before we even started the, started the podcast of uh-huh. movies we should watch. So, um, I don't really care. I mean, you have the, you have the Denzel itch. We were recording about Titanic and you were just looking up movies Denzel Washington has been in. So we can, w- <laughs> we can do that first. I was just thinking about him. <laughs> yeah. We can, we can, we can take care of you and your desire to see Denzel. <laughs> okay. Um, then yeah, episode 76 will be, um, uh, devil in a blue dress. Um, I do not recall who directed that. So, um, well, I'll have to look into that at some point. Uh, or I know it's in the 90s, but I don't recall. I, I know nothing about this except that it is a, um, like, neo-noir starring Denzel Washington. Yeah. Uh, and that Criterion uh, pushes this movie a lot. Is it on the collection right now? Or? I don't know. Or on the might, channel, I mean? It might be on the channel. Um, I just know it entered the collection, like, last oh, year. Oh, Carl Franklin. I knew this. Well, this is Carl yeah. Franklin directed. I know this name. Um, 
Oh, I can't remember. Oh, a lot of shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look. Um, I think in, in the Heat of Passion is one of the main ones I've seen. Or this is all his stuff as an actor. Oh, yeah. Um, he was an elf around the long fire. <laughs> no, he was not in around the long fire as director. Okay, here we go. Um, I don't think I've seen any of these, but maybe I don't know. Whatever, who cares? Yeah. Oh, I've know. seen High Crimes. I've yeah. seen High Crimes. Not since like, not since like we got it from the family video way back when. But you know. Yeah, I feel like that's the one that I've seen too. Um, 1995, and then I'll just fill in. But anyway, yeah, we'll do it in that order. Um, part of it is the only Medhondo movie that I've seen is uh, Soleo, mm-hmm. and I have been uh wanting to watch more from him. But I figured it's been a while since I've seen that movie. I should rewatch it, and then we can. And I know nothing about this. Watch so. other stuff. Um. This was 1970. Um. Sorry to just have me typing in stuff on the podcast. No, that's fine. Where could people find you online? You can find me at FoxMomNia on Twitter and Coast. I have pinned posts on both of those that link to all of my podcasts. I have four of them, including this one. Um... The big one I've been promoing right now is Ghost Divers. We're starting Iron Blooded Orphans. We are, uh, you know, pulling the rug out from under GGP on this one with blessings mm-hmm. to do this. But uh, I'm hoping we get listeners from, you know, people who are mostly just in it for, for Gundam. Yeah. You know, we'll listen to us and check us out. Um, I still recommend the Utena season. If you've been wanting the Abnormal Mapping Network to do a season on Utena. Man, if you like this podcast, you got to listen to the Utena season of Ghost yeah. Divers. Dude, that's just the... Oh, um, man, fucking Utena, dude. I feel like multiple times in the Discord, people have been like, you should do Utena. And M's just been like, go listen to Ghost Divers. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? No. <laughs> I don't want to make talking about Magical Girls my living. Yeah. So. We... I listen. I know that all, already this year I've like agitated for a Berserk ninety seven season. Maybe next time I agitate for a season, I'm gonna just be like, let's just do fucking the first season of Sailor Moon. You know. Well, Berserk is already on. Yeah, I know the Ghost Diver schedule. I know. I just next next time I'm feeling like, come on, let's do this for Ghost Divers, a podcast that I'm not actually part of. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, after after Iron Blooded Orphans, we're starting our. Uh, people may not know this, but most of the schedule has been set by me mm-hmm. up until this point, with input from Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of this is just I more watch, especially in like classic anime stuff than Connor. Um, Connor's really uh, like focused in on a few things, uh-huh. um, and so a lot of. Ghost Divers is me being like, let's hit like some big classics that are like uh, important ones for me. Mm-hmm. You know, we we brought in a few other ones. Um, we did Bakanobi, so we wanted to have our friend on since basically when we started the podcast. Um, there's been a few things where it's like shuffling around because I know it's Connor wants to talk about this or whatever. 
Um, but at this, after Iron Bladed Orphans, um, it's going to be Connor picks one, I pick one, guest slot if we want to have a guest on. Otherwise, we just immediately go back to Connor mm-hmm. and me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going to always have a guest season, but it'll at least be spread out. Mm-hmm. Which is nice because I loved having guests on for multiple seasons in a row. In in the sense of it was really great to have people on and talk to them, and that was fun. Uh, and then every time I sat down to edit, and there was another track I had to edit, I was like, "Oh, no. why did I do this?" <laughs> <laughs> Ghost Divers is already more annoying to do than ornate stairwells because I have to do two tracks instead of one. <laughs> um, speaking of. Just thinking about anime for a minute. I've been to. I've been meaning to ask you something for a few days and keep forgetting. Um, do you, besides Ray Earth, what clamp stuff are you into? Would you recommend? And it's okay if the answer is I have not read a ton of clamp stuff beyond that. Um, I mean, Card Capture Sakura. That's how okay. I got into clamp. Okay. Um, because I I read I read like a little listicle of like here's the here's the stuff you should check out and I was like let me just go ask my friend who is into clamp you know yeah I'm just pulling up a an actual list um I had I had some stuff in my head that interested me but I wanted to know yeah um like uh, I didn't X realize... 1999 um and X Holic okay X was the other one that I read I did not yeah. realize card captor was only 12 volumes that has moved it up my list considerably mm-hmm. I, I also didn't realize that despite being the longer one of their series because it ran for eight years that xxxholic is only 19 volumes as opposed to subasa which is 28 for some reason uh subasa is weird because it's their one that like so like uh the main character is sakura who is just their design from Card Captor Soccer. It's not her. Mm-hmm. But then, like, people from other stuff keep showing up in it. Like, mm-hmm. the, the Ray Earth girls show up in Tsubasa. Interesting. And so, I've never read through all of it. Uh, I read a little bit of it. But, um, yeah, it's it's weird in that, like, part of the reason why I didn't is it's like, I should read more Clamp stuff before I get to it because it just feels like one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, pro- I'll probably... I'll probably start it on card capture. I think it's been so long since I've read um, Yuki Chan in Wonderland. I think I remember liking that one. I also it's short. Uh, I've seen the anime of that. Maybe. <clears throat> yeah. Let, click on it. Uh, let me look at this for a second. Yeah, I think I've seen the anime of this. Yeah, the OVA. Yeah, two episodes. Yeah, I saw this. Um. <clears throat> yeah. Um. Um, yeah, you I... should, uh, which one is it? Is it drug and drop? Yeah. You should read, read drug and drop the, the weed one. Why? Why? You know why? I don't, do, do I talk about weed? Do I, do I end up mentioning weed on every fucking podcast I've been on? Cause I, <laughs> that's you. <laughs> I do not smoke from a bong. Thank you I very know. much. <laughs> I used to be better at doing the bong sound back when I w- smoked and hang out with mm-hmm. potheads all the time because people loved when you did the the sound effect of it, especially when they were high. They would laugh a lot. <laughs> so I, I used to do it a lot, and I was a lot better at it back then. Um, <clears throat> I was going to ask you. Yeah, I, I had I had the itch because... Um, 
uh, I was reading, I've been reading Inuyasha this week a little bit. Um, and I'll probably t- talk about it on the next Coffee and Comic Books. There's a way that, um, 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 um what's this? Uh, Rumiko Takahashi, I, I like the way that she's smashing together a bunch of different aesthetics in Inuyasha. Um, um, she's smashing together, like, you know, your, your, um, Tezuka faces with, like, shoujo affectation, with shonen storytelling, with, like, yokai, uh, Shigeru Mizuki stuff. Um, there's just all of it sort of doing together there. And, and she does the, like, the, like, she does a thing that Clamp does that also, like, Ikeda and, and Motohajio, like, older shoujo artists do, where you'll get, like, the introduction to a character, and that character is, like, out of panel, and you just see, like, their full body. Or, like, Kagame will be having a feeling, and it'll just be, like, here's a panel of, like, her face looking all wistful and a million little stars and, and hearts and stuff. Um, and she does that. But it's so much more restrained than Clamp ever is, yeah. <laughs> and I just I had a sudden like, I could I could really go for just some like batshit balls to the wall Clamp right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I forgot about Chobits. Yeah, I've never read Chobits. I watched the anime and wanted to read it. The thing about Chobits though is it's kind of illegally horny. Oh yeah, but it's fine. It's Clamp. I see now, I'm, like, looking at, like, Chobits branches off as a crossover into Tsubasa, XXXholic, Kobato, and I'm, like, I'm seeing now why M was, like, I'm going to read all the Clamp manga in order at a certain point. Yeah, there's a lot of, like... I don't want to do that, but, like, it seems like it would be a cool thing if I did want to do that, you know? Yeah. I feel like one of the... Let me look at it. I think Angelic Layer might be the... One of the first ones that starts doing this. Um, because I don't know if you can, so angelic layer is about like these, uh, little toy doll things that go around and fight or whatever. Uh Um, but the, the little one that she gets, the, the angel that's like this, you know, fighting doll thing, um, is named Hikaru and looks like this. It's it's like the first time they're just like, just reuse that design. Okay. I think think it's the first one. That's cute. It, um, in some ways, it feels a little lazy, but also that's cute. Yeah. Oh, can I? Can you just click on Clover? Because I feel like I recognize this, but I. I... Oh yeah. Uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Black Clover. That's what oh, I'm thinking okay. of. I do know. I do know this, but the thing I had in my head was Black Clover, and I was like, "That's not Clamp, is it?" I never uh, read Clover, but I know Emily really liked it. I think it was one of her clamp, favorite Clamp things back in the day when she watched anime and read manga and was way into all this stuff more than me. Uh-huh. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at autumnal. You can go to exportaw.io. That'll take you to the Patreon page. We've got links to all the free feeds of the podcast. If you give us a dollar a month, you get this podcast early. You get Gotham City Limits early. You get Pardon My Franchise and some other stuff early. For $5 a month, you get... Um, fuck, what's it called? Pop Town Funk and... Extra episodes funk of. You up. Pop Town Funk you up. Did you see? Did you see Spam's tweet the other day about um, hearing Uptown Funk on the radio and thinking they made a version of uh, the Pop Town Funk theme for the radio? <laughs> and 
I don't think I follow spam. Um, There's like so many like random people in the orbit that sometimes I'm like, I should maybe try and follow them, but I don't know. It's just, yeah. I mostly just check locked, so it's always weird to follow someone from your locked account. Yeah. Anyway, uh, $5 a month, Pop Town Funk, and Coffee and Comic Books. If you listen to this podcast, please check out Coffee and Comic Books. Uh, we just finished talking about Billy Bat, that episode. The final Billy Bat episode will be available to $5 patrons later this week. That is exclusive to $5 patrons. So if you want to hear me and Rick, and we are joined by Jackson, talk about Billy Bat, you got to listen to that. Our next episode will be a free one, um, and that will be about uh, Ducks by Kate Beaton. Um, anyway, Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real.
I still haven't listened to the Billy Bat episodes because I've been wanting to watch or read it and then listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, then the more that I learn about Billy Bat, the more I'm like, I feel like I can just listen to them. You can just listen. I don't need to read Billy Bat. I, I'm very fond of Billy Bat. I can tell you right now there is nothing in there that you are going to latch on to. There is like, there is nothing in your like aesthetic wheelhouse in any way in Billy Bat, I don't think. Why don't I translate <laughs> Why is Okokoro's real our sign off? Are you really saying this on the... I don't remember. Why did this become our sign-off? It was like episode like two or three. I just randomly said it. Because I was looking at my phone and Olivia tweeted, Okokoro is real. And we were just winding down and like it was just losing. You know, we still didn't have a sign-off. Okay. And I just was checking my, my phone because we were like in this weird space where we just keep talking. Uh, quite like the space we're in now. Yeah. And I just saw Okakoro is, uh, is real. Mm. And I thought that it was funny. And I said it out loud and then you laughed. Mm. And then it just somehow became the ending. Okay. But then as it went on, we developed like weirder rules around it of like, we both have to say it or else the podcast hasn't ended yet. Uh-huh. So... I was gonna maybe propose that like we get a new <clears throat> sign off that related more to movies at a certain point, but I I I don't. I, we, I feel like it's just kind of stuck here now. I mean, I guess Bella Lugosi's dead relates to movies, but yeah, this whole section here is just like weird layers of in joke now. This, so I'm a I'm a huge fan of Warwick and Ajax. Have been for a very long time. Um, one of my favorite things about it, uh, there, there was something I was listening to this week that made me laugh so hard. I almost puked and it was just because I understood seven in jokes happening all at the same time. Um, and I feel like within two years, ornate stairwells has gotten to the, like, you have to understand seven in jokes happening at the same time (laughs) to like parse the podcast in any meaningful way. We do just casually offhand refer to the non-homophobic zone. Yeah. Or if like a new listener is coming in, they're like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) It's the part after Bella Lugosi said, which I think I'm going to edit this where it still ends when we say Okokoro is real. So all this is coming after Bella Lugosi's done. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're now in the non Undead, undead, undead. Um, yeah. I like Okokoro's Real as the sign-off because we just say it when we're like, I'm. we're done with this podcast and someone will say it and then the other person will have to decide, am I done with this podcast or am I going to keep talking and delay saying it? Okokoro's Real. Okokoro is Real. It's going to be another non-homophobic after this one.
Drinking your water, we're on the podcast. So anyway, like when Bjork does that, it's specifically within this context of Groot, mm-hmm. where uh, just like that entire, I mean, calling it um, uh, using that name for the movement is itself something that would inspire people who are a part of it to become hostile to the interviewer. Um, but it was just like noted for for basically everybody in it being like. Uh, fed up with the like established news media or like music review right, and stuff yeah. media, um, and so just always giving like bizarre, uh, like usually the the approach, and this is how they got the name crew, which is like cute but in like a precocious way, is it just being like giving like inane answers to stuff, uh huh, <clears throat> like the running up that running up the hill thing is like extremely something. That they would be doing, where they'd just be like, I've never even seen a hill. What's a hill? Uh, I just brain ping-ponged around and... Okay. At work the other day, someone referenced the David Lynch, can you elaborate on that? No. Someone referenced that, right? Yeah. And they just said it in a normal voice. And I did the David Lynch voice... No. And they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, a David Lynch voice. And they're like, who's David Lynch? And I'm like, he's the man in the meme. What are you talking about? Who's David Lynch? (laughs) And it's totally, totally normal thing to not know who David Lynch is. But it just felt totally insane to me to be referencing the meme and not know who David Lynch is or that he sounds like David Lynch. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Um... But, I mean, I think a lot of it comes from, like, uh, a, you are viewing the answers that are being, or the questions that are being asked of you as being, like, kind of stupid and inane, so you just respond to them in the same way. Yeah. Like, asking somebody, like, is running up that hill really about a hill? No. Is just, in and of itself, a stupid question to ask about a song? Like, it's like the thing where you want to be, like, 
do you know how fucking song lyrics work and what songs are? Yeah. <laughs> and how like songs use like imagery because they're they're doing do you know what poetry is? Let's also, start there. Do you know what poetry also But instead you just go, I've never even seen a hill because you're just like, this is such a stupid question. I'm just not even gonna take it seriously. Also, it's such a funny question to ask it's a such a funny song to ask that question about because she says if I only could, I'd make a deal with God and I'd get him to swap our places. That's what the song's about. Yeah. Why would you ask about the hill? <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to see if I can find any of this stuff from that. While you're looking for this, can I hit people with um, a, a quick recipe here in the non-homophobia zone? A, a quick recipe? Yeah. Okay. Here's what you, I mean. You said it just fast enough that my brain heard it as a recipe. And I was like, what the fuck is a recipe? And then I like had to process it. For <laughs> no, a recipe. Um, this is what I made for dinner tonight. Um, and I'm going to ch- generalize it. So, w- okay. I'll tell you my, what I made tonight specifically. And then I'll slightly generalize it here, which is that I chopped up two turnips into little cubes, threw them in the pan. Uh, okay. Heat up olive oil, threw them in the pan. Little salt, a uh, little white wine. Um, cooked the turnips. Threw some kale in the pan. Cooked the kale. Threw some pasta, like dry pasta, in the pan. Put in just enough water to cover it. Um, turned the heat to medium, medium low. And just kind of stirred it so that the pasta wouldn't stick to the bottom. And that's all you fucking need to do. Chop some vegetables. Put them in the pan, put dry pasta in, put just enough water to coat, and just stir it so it doesn't stick to the bottom. Yeah. It was it was a fantastic fucking meal. And I've made this with a bunch of different vegetables, a bunch of different ways. I've done it with, like, tomato paste and shallots and garlic and carrots and celery and leeks and all sorts of things. Just put vegetables, put pasta, just enough water to coat the pasta, stir. That's all you got to fucking do. Yeah, until the pasta's cooked. Yeah. Add a little bit more water if it seems really dry, but often you don't need to. Yeah. You know, maybe if you had, like, really dry vegetables, you would. But I think maybe... I like, I like doing this with, um, you get the, the like, cherry tomatoes, mm-hmm. and you just, like, cut them in half, and you put them in there, because yeah. then they, like, form into kind of a tomato-y sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just, like, I, I always love whenever I'm doing a, a sauce like that to just, like have some pre-grated Parmesan on the side. Yeah, that's the other and thing then, is I... Yeah, while like the melted in at the very end. Yeah, right when I threw the pasta in, I got the water simmering, you know, and then turned the heat way, way down to low just so I could grate some Parmesan real quick and not have to stir it, you know? Yeah. Um. The, the only hard part is that if you don't stir, the pasta will stick. That is yeah. literally the only hard part. Yeah. Um. I say this because I... I so... I was looking around for recipes yesterday and I was like, ooh, turnips and kale. That sounds good. That sounds nice and seasonal. That's perfect for uh, dinner tomorrow. And it was like, cook the pasta over here, do the vegetables over here and then combine. And I I don't normally make it that way. And then I was I was following the recipe and then I like had my had a second pan on the stove and then I was like, what am I doing? And I dumped out I just put that pan back in the cabinet. I put some water in it and I dumped out the water, rinsed the salt out, dumped it back in the cabinet. Um, Cause like, I don't, I don't need it. I Stop. When you read a recipe and it tells you, boil your pasta over here and cook your vegetables over here. Stop doing that. Just cook the pasta in the sauce, just enough water to coat it. That's all you got to do. Yeah. 
This is my advice One to of the, you, the listeners. And the, it takes a little bit of time, I think, sometimes to like figure out where these points are. But like one of my big things, if you are learning to cook and you're using a lot of recipes, um, is like the biggest thing to do with planning mm-hmm. is to figure out like how can I change what it's saying to be as few dishes as possible. Yes, it's just like a, a really valuable skill because a lot of those people who are writing recipes, um, probably have people who do the dishes for them. Yes, to be honest. Yes. Um, and I mean, it might be if it's a blogger, it might be like their husband, their husband or their who wife does it, or yeah, yeah. Um, but also, like, especially once they reach the part, the point where they are professionally doing this, mm-hmm. they're just like in a kitchen where they have like sous chefs and stuff when they're developing recipes. Yeah, here's the here's the other thing I did was that I chopped up the turnips, put them in a big bowl, yeah, heated up the water or heated up the olive oil, throw the turnips in. Then while the turnips are cooking, same big bowl. Put the put the cut kale in the bowl. Put the stems right in the trash. You know. Yeah. And now I have one prep bowl, one pan, and one cutting board, and that's all I have to clean. Yeah. You know. As um, opposed to one pot, one pan, one prep bowl for my kale. Oh, also wash the kale. Wash the kale. It's important. Yeah. <laughs> um. One thing that's useful for for me as someone who uses lots of spices is I have, I have a like a fair number of these like small little metal bowls, mm-hmm. and so whenever I'm doing spices that like will sometimes need to be like here's the ones that go in early, here's the ones that go in later. Sometimes it'll be like often turmeric is going to go in with some sort of wet spice like mm-hmm. uh, onions or something, mm-hmm. um, and so that I'll just put it with like I'll have the onions that are going to go in and I just put it on top. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll dish it directly into it, but when you have a lot of spices and you need to like keep stuff going, that's where I will get out a little metal bowl and I'll be like, okay, here's all the stuff that's going to go in at the like basically final stage before you like yeah. add tomatoes and stuff. Like when you have, cause a lot of Indian cooking is like you start with, uh, hang is like the, the big one cause you just need to cook the fuck out of it usually. Mm-hmm. So that and mustard seeds going at the beginning, the mustard seeds cause you want them to pop and infuse the oil. Yeah. And then it's like um, onions, uh, chilies can be like at the same time or after, depending on how much you want to cook them down, um, like fresh chilies. And then it's like basically all the other dry spices, except for the ones that are going to get added at the very end as like part of the um, tempering process. But Oh, I'll also, I'll, I'll explain one thing that I didn't explain there. My little trick, heat up the olive oil, throw the turnips in, then add a bunch of white wine. Mostly because that gave me time to chop the um, uh, kale without having kale <laughs> without having to look at the uh, turnips really because like the white wine was like the white wine added enough liquid to the pan that like one it's cooking the turnips through more rather than just giving them like the brown bits and also like it's just it was just enough time. That like, I didn't. I just didn't have to look at it really. Yeah. I turned around and I kind of did this with the pan. I just kind of like sloshed the handle around a little bit. Yeah. You know, just to keep moving. Um, I will say Malier is really good for figuring out how to cut down on dishes because she she hates making lots of dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, that was. I mean, Emily has been following Malier since like she basically started doing blog stuff. My mom. But really that's where loves... I. That's where I got like. Anytime that I make like 
pancakes. Mm-hmm. You always get the one and it's like, do all the dry or the wet ingredients here. Do all the dry ingredients here. And I just like mix up all the dry ingredients with the, the whisk. And then I just push it all to the side so that I have like a bowl in the middle mm-hmm. that's like made of dry ingredients. Mm-hmm. And then I just put all the wet ingredients in there and I just kind of mix them up. And like dry starts incorporating when you do that, but it's fine. Yeah. <clears throat> Except for when I do, um, oh, what did it? I'm totally drawing a blank on the name. Um, they're these like Danish. I know you've come over once when I've made them. Yeah. Um, they're like pancake balls, basically. And in order to do that, you need the whites like really stiff and they get incorporated at the very end. And so that is just always like a dish heavy, um, pancake thing. So I mostly do it for special occasions because. Yeah. There's, um, I like the, um, uh, Adam Ragusi's recipe for pancakes. Because I like reading pancake recipes because everybody does it slightly differently. I like his recipe because... Um, Adelskier is the, the Danish pancake. You get the butter. You put it in the bottom of, the, of your two-cup Pyrex. Throw it in the microwave. Microwave it so it melts. Then you add, like, your egg, your vanilla... And enough milk so that it's at, like, the one cup line, I think. I don't quite remember this, right? Yeah. And then you just... Adding the egg to the hot butter is frightening me right now. Well, well, okay. So this is... When I do it, and I think this is what he says, too. Don't microwave it until the butter is fully melted. Microwave it till it's, like, half melted and then just kind of swirl it around until the rest of it melts. Yeah. Egg, milk, and then just, like, add... Add flour to the Pyrex until it looks like about the thickness that you want your pancake to be. And that's just like something you have to learn from like doing it. I think he recommends the Pyrex because like, well, just do it to the two cup line, like do what fits and that'll probably get you a good. And it's like, yeah, just like fucking. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Don't don't overcomplicate it. Do it all in the Pyrex. You can measure it all right there. You can mix it all right there Um, because I've made way more complicated pancakes and I don't get better results out of it. Yeah. Anyway, all this digression was me trying to find this interview, uh-huh. and I realized that the stuff that's referencing it is in a book over there. Okay. So, I'm not going to go get it. But Should we get into the if podcast? If people are curious, it's called, uh, I think it's Blue-Eyed Pop. It's mm-hmm. a reference to uh, Sugar Cube's song, where they're like playing with like blue ice, blue eyes, being especially in Icelandic homophones. They're close in English and in Icelandic. You basically say them exactly. I mean, like, if you're Flower. saying the English words in Icelandic. Mm-hmm. Oh. If you're saying the Icelandic words, they're they're clearly distinct. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because one would be, um, like, ice is ice. Mm-hmm. As in Iceland. Mm. Iceland. Um, and then ice is air. Oh, yeah. That doesn't sound like at yeah. all. Completely different words. Yeah. But the the accent makes ice, ice the same. Because at, there's no, like, Z sound in Icelandic. Mm. You know, it goes, it's all, so ice, makes ice. Sense. Yeah. I have a thing. The ice machines at work um, are called isomatics. And every time I see that logo, I think to myself, I see eomatic. Like the Prince song? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, nobody tell Connor, but I haven't listened to that much Prince. I've listened to like Prince, but I haven't like regularly listened to albums where I like immediately. I had a thing when Prince died where I was like, I don't know Prince at all. There's like a generation of people who totally missed Prince because of his weirdness about the internet, you know? Yeah. And so when Prince died, I bought a handful of Prince CDs and I was like, wow, Prince is every bit as good as they say that it, as they say that he is. And then I just didn't really like stick with it in any meaningful way. I'm like, wow, Prince really is great. I just don't listen to Prince a ton, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I've, I like, I had a CD of sign of the times. I had a CD of 1999. I had a CD of uh purple rain. Like I, like I understand. It's just not like something that's infused my listening habits in the way that like Michael Jackson is just like totally part of like, I listen to Michael all the time or yeah. did at one time. It's harder to listen to Michael. Yeah. Now. I don't listen to him as much anymore, but I mean, I will still sometimes throw on Thriller. That's just a fucking banger of an album. Yeah. The thing is that it's Billie like, Jean is just the best pop song that's ever been written. I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I just think that Billie Jean is just like impeccable. Um, I can listen to the Jackson 5 all day. No, no cognitive, no nothing. It's something about like the, the transition to adulthood and he just becomes, you know, I, I, I watched that documentary, you know, yeah. and it's it's rough stuff. Um, but it, it's so much harder to like put that on a kid. Yeah. 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 Especially knowing like his upbringing and how much like, uh, I'm not sure that, you know, Michael would have like gone back and done everything the same way. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think Michael was really choosing to be in the situation that he was in back then, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, and also so much of like the, the issues with him later on are, not in a way that excuses it, but are like clearly stemming out of him having his own lost yes. childhood. Yes. That he like never got to be a kid. And so yes. that like has given him this weird fixation on childhood as a thing. It's it's like, it feels so bad to like psychoanalyze famous people I don't know, but it feels just so obvious when you know anything about his story, like what's happening there. Yeah. And that, I don't know. This is uncomfortable things to talk about. So Yeah. I don't want to, like, deeply psychoanalyze, but, like, uh, they did also fuck up that kid. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, do you want to get to the actual podcast? Janet Jackson has a whole album about it, and it's pretty good. Yeah. Control. Love that album. Um, yeah, Titanic. Oh, podcast. We're not We're not just in it. We That was the non-homophobia zone. I got yeah. the intro. I, I literally last week was like, oh, we don't do enough intro. <laughs> Just the the music. I, I'm gonna do whatever that one. I, I guess I'm editing this because we're recording at my place. We were debating where we were recording it. Yeah, I'm gonna do that one that they use twice, like the one that they dance to at the end of. Yeah, so yeah, 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 and then yeah, also yeah. there's the part where the mom's also dancing early. Yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah, sure. um, is that James Taylor? Maybe I know there's a James Taylor song in here. Um, no, because I remember thinking the James Taylor song was terrible. Yeah. Um. And the the song you're talking about is like fine, kind of like nothing '80s pop song to me. Um. Soft rock. They're not gonna give the track listing. Oh, here, Handyman, James Taylor. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, maybe they have two different James Taylor songs, or maybe I just thought one of them. I don't, whatever. Anyway, podcast, podcast, podcast. Anyway, yeah, so 
we're, I'm just going to play that, and then it's just going to be you saying, Titanic! And then all of this. That's, that's how we're going to edit it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Ornate Stairwells, a podcast about movies. I'm Joe... I skipped my name when I was going to say that. <laughs> I was about to say I'm joined by Nia. Do you want to take it from the top, or...? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm just going to do a little warm-up here. Um, I'm living all this in. Yeah. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Ornate Stairwells. I'm Autumn. I'm joined, as always, by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. This is a movie podcast. We talk about movies. Segment one, we talk about other movies we watched this week. And segment two, we're going to talk about Smooth Talk. Um, Luckily, we barely watched other movies this week. <laughs> I just realized that we don't have a power cord plugged into this. Mm, what's your bat? Ooh, your battery is not looking so hot. Yeah. Um, I guess we're going to take this one again. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, really no way around this. Unless you want to tell them about Life Aquatic and Isle of Dogs while I'm not here. No, we'll just take this one. Uh, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Still in the, the non homophobia zone. There's something I was going to talk about. Oh, here's the thing I'll talk about while um, I'm going to adjust this mic ever so slightly. Well, Autumn's not here. Um, I finished the, I guess, the first season of, of Turn A Gundam. So um, I know <clears throat> we, we were kind of watching it together. Uh, Autumn and I were like trying to keep neck and neck, and I don't think they've caught up this week. Um, but they have a week because next week I'm mostly going to be focused on watching through Iron-Blooded Orphan stuff for Ghost Divers. Um, but, man, that show. Show fucking rips. Um, basically, everything that I know that happens, except for, like, the Turnax, has now happened. Like, and some of the stuff around the Turnax. But. I I think Autumn's back. Um, it's yeah. fucking great, though. What? I'm not back. What is back? Did you bring the little... I lost it. I thought it. there was one in here. I think it might be on my desk. I think I may have accidentally brought it once. So yeah, you were correct. You're not back yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I have to get this. <laughs> um, I... I'm just thrown off. Um... This is just silence. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sorry this end has been so awkward. Bye. Enjoy the podcast. Let me sit down, Jesus. Turn that podcast here, you're not even sitting. <laughs>